Coach, do you ever feel like your recruiting message is just a little bit out of balance? Well, if you do, you're going to love today's podcast. We're going to dive deep into that topic, and we're going to share with you some late research that we've just completed and that we've just shared with another group of coaches on what they want and how to balance it and what is the right mix of message. If you love research and you want to take a new approach for how you create your overall recruiting plan, stay tuned. You're going to love today's show. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, Santa's Little Helper and America's College Recruiting Guru, Dan Tudor. Okay, Coach, we've already teased you a little bit at what we're going to be talking about today, and I think it's going to be important, and it's going to be something that you find really interesting, especially if you're listening to this and you're in charge of creating your team's message. You're going to get a lot out of today's show, I promise you that. Uh, First things first, here we are at the end of a year approaching uh, the week of Christmas and New Year's, and I just wanted to take this opportunity To wish you and everybody in your family and in your program uh, the very merriest of Christmases, a fantastic holiday season, and a blessed new year as we approach 2017. It's been such an honor to be able to serve you and communicate with you, talk with you through this podcast and through the newsletter and the blog and our website at dantutor.com over this last year. And trust me, it's only going to get better as we head into the new year. But just wanted to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. And if you're listening to this and traveling, uh, be careful, safe travels to you, and just have a great uh, a great break. And for those of you in season, uh, good luck with your season. And as it's, uh, as it's playing out, we just hope that things are going your way. And uh, that you also find some time to spend it with your family and and have some enjoyable downtime, if that's possible, in the middle of what's always a a busy college sports year. First things first, before we get into our topic today, I wanted to talk about something that has really been in the news over the last uh, seven to ten days and wanted to get your opinion on it and get you talking about it on Twitter. And uh, we have those discussions by tagging uh, me on Twitter, at Dan Tudor, and would love to hear your opinion on this as you as you think about this. I, we and You may have seen the news, too. We've had quite a few instances of athletes uh, taking sort of matters into their own hands uh, through some different protests and also some college career decisions that uh, they've been pretty outspoken about. And if, let me just talk about the two things that uh, that have kind of impressed me uh, about you know just how things are changing and evolving in college athletics and then get your opinion on it. The first one is we have seen uh, a lot of publicity surrounding the University of Minnesota football team uh, who was prepped and ready to boycott their bowl game over um, uh, protesting a number of their teammates that had been suspended uh, over an investigation of some wrongdoing. And without getting into the details of that and what they were protesting, I want to sort of 
focus on the protest itself because what they were doing was, as a team, considering not participating and basically boycotting their bowl game. And that would have had, of course, ramifications for the college, uh, for the university. It would have had ramifications for the coaching staff and certainly the rest of the team. And they seem to be doing it out of one voice. And uh, and then most recently in the last few days, uh, they backed down off of that and announced that they would play their bowl game. And, and where I want to go with this is I think this is one of the hallmarks of this generation of athletes, which is to speak up and sort of voice their social conscience and speak up and use their First Amendment right to protest something that they uh, believe in. And you had a lot of instances throughout this past fall of uh, athletes and even people in associated with, with the school band and different people around college campuses uh, with a a spotlight on college athletics that would take the opportunity in that spotlight to voice their displeasure over something or voice their opinion in a a way that um, kind of went against the norm. And, you know, certainly on a college campus, that's something that you would expect. That's where you sort of grow into, you know, discovering and formulating what your opinions are. And we've seen lots of examples of of players and, and people around college athletics doing that, protesting different things that they that they believe in. I want to focus on this most recent protest because of the fact that you have people that are athletes uh, at the Division One level, in this case, at the University of Minnesota, that were college uh, college athletes under scholarship. And, you know, so the question that was sort of being asked on social media that I was watching and observing, which I thought was kind of interesting, is do they have the right to boycott something that uh, they're essentially, uh, they're being paid for in the sense that they are getting a college education? Um, Do they have a responsibility then to follow through and fulfill what might be considered an obligation to play in a bowl game representing their program and their school, or does their right to free speech and choosing to boycott something that they may have felt uh, was something that as a team they wanted to make a statement in support of their teammates who were um, were being suspended for the game because, like I said, of a uh, an investigation that was going on. Uh, I would love to hear what you as a coach think of this. So do you favor sort of them being able to speak out and, uh, and, and have this voice and boycott a bowl game because that's their right, First Amendment right to, uh, to, to certainly protest something and voice their opinion, but then also to act on it by boycotting it? Or on the other side of it, do you feel like they certainly have a right to their opinion, but at the end of the day, they're college athletes on scholarship representing the university and the program and they're sort of obligated to go and play the game. Like I said, the players settled this for themselves because they have uh, agreed to participate in their bowl game. So they've sort of pulled back. But had they carried it out, I would love to hear the opinions that you have on that by going to Twitter, tagging me at Dan Tudor, and just voicing your opinion on on what you think. Because I think as a culture, you're going to see more of this from this generation of athletes 
who have grown up thinking and and understanding and feeling that they have the right to participate in some of the social debates that are going on around the country and that they have the right to to I guess step out on their own and and make their own decisions as far as participating or not participating in something, whether that's the national anthem or, in this case, whether it's a bowl game that their university program was invited to attend. So, again, I'd love your 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 thoughts on that. And kind of to tag along with that, uh, recently we've had a number of athletes, Division One football players, that have decided to forego their bowl game appearances uh, in preparation for an NFL career, and and some would argue protecting themselves from a possible injury uh, in what has been termed as, and this is where I want to get your opinion on this as well, it has been termed as a meaningless bowl game or something that really wasn't that important. It was almost an exhibition and a you know, postseason um, uh, addition game that really doesn't mean anything for their career. And so you have two athletes, and again, I'm not going to point them out by name because they're they're one in a long line of athletes over the years that have decided to take this action. But these are two high-profile athletes from LSU and Stanford that uh, have have decided this year to forego playing in a bowl game. So, what's your opinion on that? Do they do they is this a smart move because this is about their future as an athlete and a possible huge payday? Uh, on the professional side that they've been working and training for their whole life? Or do you feel like they're a college athlete that that has a responsibility to carry through to the end for their team and participate in this bowl game? It's going to be the last game for many of their teammates. It would have been the last game for them. Is it right for them to withhold their participation as key members of their team uh, in in sort of deference to their future career as professionals, a uh, lot of debate going on on social media. Is this right or wrong? And you have it's a fifty fifty split on what people's opinions are. I would love to get your opinion as a coach on what you feel is the right thing for them to do, and uh, and, and just talk about that. So again, for both topics, the uh, the team boycott topic, and then the individuals pulling out of bowl games in preparation for and in protection of their potential professional career. I'd love to get your your take on that. Just go to Twitter, at Dan Tudor, and talk about it, and let's see what the opinions are, because I, I have my own personal opinions. I would love to hear what everybody else's opinion is. And the thing is, it's not like it is a one opinion is right, one opinion is wrong. It's simply a, a choice that they're making, and you land on on whether that choice is right or wrong. And I would love to hear what that is, um, uh, and oh, and open that up as a forum for you as coaches to uh, to discuss and talk about. Um, one more thing that it, I it, sort of on a uh, a business side that I'd love to throw in there. We've had a couple of coaches this week uh, begin their participation in Tudor University. And I want to explain what that is because for one of those coaches, their participation and their start in this program actually started with a question that they emailed me, just what the heck is Tudor University? Uh, If you go to our website at dantutor.com, you can see all the details of, of what it is. But just to explain it quickly on the podcast, because we haven't talked about it before, 
Tudor University is an online training program for college coaches who want to actually be trained and then certified as college recruiters. You never get trained to do this most important part of your job, and certainly overall, our scope of, of writing and talking on our webinars and these podcasts all goes toward training you to become a top-flight communicator, marketer, and recruiter who really then, you could say, is, is good at selling your program and the story of your program to a recruit. And what we've done through this program called Tudor University is formalize that, where we actually take coaches that participate through levels and through different um, training segments, and then we test them on it. And the tests aren't easy, and sometimes there are homework assignments to, uh, to turn in. But through that, you go through these different levels, and the feedback that we have gotten through, through um, the coaches who have participated is through the roof positive. And I am so proud uh, to be bringing this to college coaches who, again, never get formally trained, and your department doesn't get formally trained. This is a way to do that. Uh, and so I would love for you to go to the website and look at it and consider it as you start 2017 because I know it's a time for New Year's resolutions. It's a time to kind of figure out what am I going to do this year to further my career as a college coach. Well, I can just tell you from experience and from listening to well over a decade of coaches explaining what they what they prioritize and what they wish they would have prioritized in their college coaching career. And it goes back to being trained. It goes back to understanding the importance and the knowledge revolving around college recruiting and the act of it and the the art of it and the practice of it. This is a way for you to get training on your time, in your space, around your schedule, and it is insanely inexpensive. It's one of the least expensive investments that you could make in yourself as a college coach if you're serious about getting good at this one part of your job, we have adjusted the price down to just $250 annually to go through this program. And you could finish everything within that year. Um, we have most coaches that choose to keep going and extend that on uh, because we keep adding more information uh, and more training segments, and they're good. But we've had great feedback from coaches. So again, as we as we start to end 2016 and we move into the new year, consider that as one of your your uh, New Year's resolutions to improve yourself and invest in yourself. And if you're interested in that, you can find all the details uh, at dantutor.com. And we just we hope you consider it because we have had such good feedback from your peers who are going through it. And we wanted to invite you, if you've never heard about it, never considered it before, now you have, and we would just ask you to uh, to look at it uh, so that you can go through and get the same education and the same training and certification that some of your peers have had this year. With that, we want to get into this meat of the topic, uh, this training segment that we want to take you through uh, here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. All right, so Coach, like at the top of the show, we mentioned what today's uh, topic was going to be, and it's all about balance. It's about balance in your recruiting message, and what is that right 
balance and is there such a thing? Well, I mean, the, the short answer to that is, yeah, I think there is such a thing because we keep hearing from kids, athletes that you're recruiting or that you have recruited and now they're on your campus as freshmen, they tell us stories of what went right in their recruiting process and what went wrong. And I can tell you that they keep coming back to what was the right feel, what was the right balance, what was one coach doing with their message and what they were talking about that another coach wasn't doing. And we, we are always trying to measure that. And that's what we do here. That's, I mean, I think how we serve our clients and and, and, and the coaches just, that just rely on us for information. It's one of the things that they like is the research that we do because we get really honest feedback from kids that may not be completely open and honest with their coaches, but when you give them anonymity and then we're an outside third party, they tend to tell us things that, that are truthful and direct, and that's, I think, valuable information for college coaches. So, so I think there is something to this idea that there is a balance because we keep hearing about it with uh, a lot of athletes. And I want to talk about something that I had the chance to talk to the American Volleyball Coaches Association about uh, just a matter of days ago. Uh, speaking at their convention, we uh, spoke back to back for an hour each time. And uh, one of the topics was the the entire idea around what is a balanced recruiting message. And what I want to share for, with you is some of the results that we got from doing this really in-depth focus group survey with the class of 2016, so the freshmen that right now uh, are on campuses that were just recruited. We focused on volleyball players, but we're, we're seeing a lot of the numbers start to match up well in other sports. So I think what I'm going to talk about, even though it is very focused to what we talked about with volleyball coaches, is if you're not a volleyball coach, will match up well with with your athletes, and because uh, I think this is more of a generational thing than a, a sports specific thing. Uh, so I want to talk to you about what we shared with them and go through it in detail. And I'm also I'm actually doing this partially because we had a number of coaches afterwards that uh, heard the presentation, were taking notes, were watching the slides that we were uh, giving out, and then came back and emailed me afterwards and said, hey, if you sometimes, in in one of your podcasts, if you could ever go through that again in some detail, I'd love to hear it again just because I think I may have missed something. Um, so we're, we're kind of partially doing it for them as well, but I think it's going to be valuable for everybody else. Um, to start with, to jump right into this, because I I, uh, I don't want this to extend out too long. I want to be to the point and very clear in my instruction that I give you here. Uh, what I'll say is that on the dantutor.com website, under the podcast category, and many of you may have found this podcast through this link, I'm going to put this chart up that we're going to refer to in this uh, in this episode of the the podcast. So if you go into the podcast section and look at episode eight, uh, you'll see the chart that we're going to reference just as a visual. I just want to make sure that I give that to you. And we'll try to explain it if you aren't able to do that and, and you're trying to visualize it. Let me start there with what what we did was we asked a group of several hundred um college volleyball players who had just gone through the recruiting process, now freshmen on college campuses, how they would balance out if it was up to them, 
what they would tell coaches and how to balance out their recruiting message uh, in, in a couple of different categories. And the categories that we gave them to measure were mail, so hard copy letters, printed uh, printed mail that has some sort of personalization on it, something that you created from them and the message just happened to go out on a piece of paper. Um, that was one category. The second was email. Uh, and we also try to measure text message, phone calls, and social media. In terms of, the, again, the message that you would be putting out and how you are communicating with your with your classes, that's what we wanted them to measure. And so what we asked them to do was out of 100% of your communication, how would you break down those five categories? What percentage weight would you give them uh, in terms of balancing out the, 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 the message? And the results were kind of surprising. So uh, again, if you're not able to pull up that chart, let me just give it to you visually, Going moving from left to right, um, the mail uh, uh, mailing um, category, if you imagined a graph that ran vertically up and down, so we're sort of measuring and, and showcasing uh, the, the, the bar readings up to, uh, uh, in that graph, uh, what they measured. On the far left-hand side, if you measured uh, mail, the mail category, they would want as a 17% mix in their overall recruiting message. If you move then one category to the right, email represented 35% of an overall message. Text messaging was 26%. Phone call was just 7%. And social media came in at 15%. So if again, those were the five categories. Those total up to 100%. Let me go through category by category and just give you some ideas of how you can use this information to adjust your recruiting message. And I think there's a couple of important findings here that we highlighted for those coaches at the AVCA, and I want to do the same for you. So the first thing I would say, looking at mailing, is it got 17%, almost one-fifth of their, their desired contact with you came through hard copy letters. And I speak to the coach here that has convinced themselves that this generation of kid doesn't look at mail, doesn't open letters, doesn't want to be communicated with through the mail. And I'm going to explain to you and show you that it actually beat two categories that um, that I think were pretty important. Phone calls, first of all, it, it destroyed that 17% compared to 7%, but it also beat out social media. Can you believe that? Uh, and there's a reason for it, and we explained it to the uh, coaches at the volleyball convention, and I want to explain that now uh, as well, that when you, sort of the first teaching point in this podcast that I'll point out is that mail got 17%, social media got 15% as a mix of the overall message. My feeling is the reason mail won out is because it's it is proof to this generation that you're serious about them and that you matter and that you've taken the time to invest in them through a letter or some sort of mail piece with your signature, maybe a PS, a handwritten note or something that says you matter. And that is so important. They are trying throughout the process, we find, to prove to themselves which coaches are serious about me and which coaches aren't. And we are finding that one of the ways that they that they measure, rightly or wrongly, 
is who's communicating with me and who has sent me a letter because I cannot tell you the number of times, coaches, when an athlete has told us that when they get a letter from a coach, in their words, it's official. They're being recruited. That coach is serious about me when they send me a letter. And I've heard kids explain when we ask them, well, why is that? What makes a letter more important or more official than an email or a text message or even social media? And what they explain is that when it's on paper, it's proof that doesn't go away. And that is so insightful because you think about their world of communication, Coach. What is it? It's an email, which they can easily delete or put into a file on their computer and only look at it once, or and, and then it's gone, or at least it's filed away out of sight. Um, text messaging is very, very temporary. That's an ongoing conversation. And the minute they send a new text, uh, you're forgotten. And it's, it's just a very temporary way of communicating back and forth. Um, phone calls, there's no physical proof. It's just sound. It's, it's you talking back and forth with them. <clears throat> so that doesn't uh, necessarily prove things to them. And social media is so temporary and so ever-changing that that's not something that they view as, um, as real and lasting, especially with a program, for instance, like Snapchat, where your message literally disappears in a matter of seconds, uh, never to be seen again. So when you send something out through the mail, there is this element that is permanent. It's proof. And I would even say that there's a little bit of a mystery to mail because most kids don't know how to use the mail. They have never written a letter. They have not sent something through the mail. They're not used to communicating through that. And so when they receive that from you, it's a little bit of a mystery. And that, I think, counts for something uh, as well. So just keep in mind that mail... That category got more of a response than phone calls and social media. Uh, phone calls, I wouldn't think that would surprise you as a coach because you know not a lot of kids like to talk on the phone, but I bet it surprises you that it outranked social media as well. And um, I just would want you to keep that in mind. Let's look at email, the next category. 35%, that, that ranked the highest. And I can just hear you as a coach saying to yourself now, well, wait a minute, Dan. I talk to my recruits and they don't really use email a lot. Maybe once a week or twice a week they'll check it. And it's really hard for them to get to, res- to respond to me quickly by email. What this goes to is I think the central idea um, in the minds of student athletes that email, even though they don't use it in day-to-day communications with their friends, uh, they would prefer, frankly, to have their parents check and handle their emails. Email collectively in this generation when it comes to recruiting is something that they view as the right way to communicate with me as a recruit during this process. And let me go in and explain what we have found their thinking is a little bit that email is something that they can respond to in their time, just like a text message. They get to write it, look at it, change it if they want before they send it. So it's safe. Um, the other thing about email is that it doesn't invade their private life as much as a text message or a phone call or you contacting them on social media would. So an email is more convenient that way as well. Um, and, and this sort of goes to the idea where this, I think, is proven is for those of you that use Front Rush or Scoutware or Jump Forward or any really any contact management software program that uh, that a lot of coaches use, Sometimes you'll send an email out and you never notice that they'll open up the email 
six or seven or 15 times before they actually get around to replying to you. And it's, you might look at that and say, what, are the heck, what the heck are they doing? The email is not going to change. It's the same message. What they're doing is they're looking, they're, they're scared and intimidated about a college coach contacting them, but they're going in and they're looking at it and figuring out, what do I want to say? Do I need to say something? Should I reply? But they'll go back to it because, again, it's proof that you want them, and then they can reply to you. The messages that you send uh, of all the different methodologies, email is preferred, I think, because it comes to them, they can read it, they can save it, and if they want the option, they can then reply to it. And that is the, the key part. Unlike a letter, email can be replied to. Email is something that is uh, it simulates text messaging. It simulates the back and forth they might have on social media. But it's separate and apart from that world. And they get to kind of use it as this recruiting tool and information. And you'll notice that when they get to your campus and they're actually now a, uh, a member of your team, almost immediately, most of them say, just text me, coach. So now there's a familiar relationship. They're a part of your family. They're a part of the group. And now they're not going to probably use email as much as they did in the recruiting process. But the one thing I want you to take away from this is that, that the number one rated category, 35% of the message that you send out according to your classes needs to be at this point in in uh, the life cycle of recruiting right now, it should represent about 35% of your recruiting message, which represents the, the largest category. Let's move on to the next one, text messaging. Text messaging at 26% came in second. And that, again, probably shouldn't surprise you, but it's really key to understand what they want text messaging to be used for. Text messaging is not to be something that you sell your program through. So, for instance, what you would create in an email, a message, and send out to your recruits, uh, that is not applicable and not transferable to sending out in a text message. For most athletes, the vast majority, the second you start selling yourself and, and hard recruiting by telling your story, giving them a sales message, um, promoting your school through a text message, um, that is, for the vast majority of kids, an immediate turnoff. And I've heard a lot of kids talk about when it gets to that point, if it ever does, um, that's a program they cross off their list, that crosses a boundary. We don't get text messages uh, to be sold. We don't want somebody on a text message to be selling us something. Um, think of how often uh, you have the opportunity when you're signing up for your bank account or cell phone service or any kind of paperless billing. They always give you the option of, hey, we can send you a text message when your bill is ready. We can send you a text message when we, you know, this event happens and so on and so forth. Do you as an adult sign up for that and voluntarily, you know, want text messages coming to you? Some of you might. The vast majority of us don't, and that's been proven out in in different business and research studies. Why? Because text messaging is a very personal back and forth way that we want to communicate with people that we know. We are not there to have something sold to us. So please remember that in your text messaging, even though it represents 26% of your overall message as these athletes um, uh, came and, and rated and measured what, what a recruiting message should be and what the right balance should be, that text message is for conversation and for building a relationship. It is not 
for promoting a sales message. So just remember that, that these kids want to talk. They just want to do have it be in the right forum, and they want it done the right way, and they have very specific uh, focuses and definitions of what right and wrong is in how to use text messaging if you're a coach. Um, moving to the fourth uh, category that we measured, which was phone calls. Again, not a huge surprise that only 7% of the time they want you to, to spend on the phone. What was interesting, we thought, was when we started to dig a little bit deeper and ask follow-up questions to this group that participated in the focus group survey, they would talk about the fact that deeper into the conversation, phone calls started to matter. Um, at the start, not so much. Uh, talk to my parents, that's fine. We heard that a lot, but I don't want to talk yet. Um, I'm just not sure if uh, I'm ready to talk to a coach. There's two things at play here. First of all, they are protecting themselves from being hurt, and they're protecting themselves through sort of falling in love with a coach or a program uh, if they don't know that they're, it's a, a sure thing and they're going to be there. Um and, and I think that's a really interesting sort of part of their psyche as they go through this. I hear a lot of coaches say, I want the kid that wants to be here and that loves our program and, and loves the school. What I'm finding out, Coach, and what I'll share with you is that uh, what the kids tell us is that we don't fall in love truly with a program until we have an offer or there's there's we're sure we got into the school, that it's permanent. And then we'll fall in love with it completely. But until then, we hold back a little bit, and that's represented in phone calls because phone calls and talking on the phone is difficult enough for a kid. When you add into the fact that uh, this is you know, a college career on the line, there's a nervousness that comes about in the idea of talking to a college coach, and they just don't want to do it. They want to hold off. As it gets deeper into the process, you're one of the final two or the final three, or they verbally committed to you and... Now it's something that, you know, it's just biding time until they can sign a letter of intent. We see them wanting phone calls more and more the later it gets into the process. Once they know that I can get to know the coach and I'm not going to be hurt more than likely, or I know enough that I feel like I can talk intelligently, that's where they want the phone calls to happen. So phone calls represent very, very little uh, of an overall plan, and what little there is really happens toward the back end of a plan. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, do something that will get a leg up on your competitors by being keeping it very short and simple and not focusing on a phone call at the start of a relationship with the athlete. Save that for the end, and as they get closer to your program and as you get to know them more and vice versa, that's when you can introduce uh, a phone call. By the way, they're fine with you contacting their parents. They would prefer if you contacted their parents by phone. And the research that we've done with parents say that the parents love phone calls as well. So I think what we're seeing overall generationally is this moving away from the phone for by the athletes and coaches, the smart ones anyway, realizing that they can get good conversations in with the uh, parents of those athletes. And that's a, a good way to communicate with um, with with them, the last section, social media, came in at fifteen percent. That was the second lowest of the five categories, <clears throat> which again I think would surprise a lot of coaches. Um, I don't. I'm not that surprised because when over the last two or three years, especially as we've really uh, we we have really dove in deep on 
on what makes up a good social media campaign and what should coaches be doing with social media. Um, Social media is their world. It is something that they hold on to very tightly and very um, uh, ferociously (laughs) is the only word I can think of uh, when it comes to something that that is their world. And they get nervous when coaches or even adults invade that world. You want proof of that? Just looking at Facebook. And Facebook used to be heavy with college kids, and then it got popular with high school kids. And you remember the time, if you've been coaching for four or five years, you had to have a Facebook fan page. You had to have something for your recruits to find you at on Facebook. And what happened was all of us as the uh, the older people, <laughs> the post-college crowd, got involved with it and and it became sort of this old person's hangout and I'm using you know what even my uh, teenage kids would describe as uh, as you know an old person's place to be uh, and we love it I mean you know parents my friends my age were on Facebook very few high school athletes very few college athletes now are still on Facebook because we've taken over as the old people and now they need their own spaces and so you know the great thing about social media or maybe it's a curse. There are plenty of new platforms popping up all the time that they can be a part of. Um, so Snapchat and Instagram have taken over really at this point here in late 2016 what kids really are involved with and, and focus on in terms of social media. The point is that's their world, and they don't let a lot of adults into it. So what they want to do through social media with a program is – uh, is look out and look into your program and see what they can find out about it, about, and and then and then step away and not have you follow them back into their world. Most of them, and I, I don't want to make this sound like this is every athlete universally because there's always exceptions to the rule, but the vast majority of athletes. Um, have you know they don't want you sort of uh, the word that they use would be creeping on them uh, into their social media world and and really it's about a 50 50 split whether or not they even want contact with you in social media so make sure that you ask permission to to view them to follow them uh, if you're inviting them to follow your program you know understand that they might have some reservations about that Social media is tricky because they want very specific things from it, and what we find is that coaches don't often give them those things. And those things would be uh, uh, among the sort of the the top three uh, categories. It would be they really want to understand um, who your players are and getting sort of a feel for who they are as as students and as athletes. Um, they really want to have your your college showcase. They really want to see campus and see behind the scenes athletically. They want to they want to kind of go inside your program and figure out is this a place that I'm going to want to spend time at and that I'm going to want to uh, be drawn to. And finally, they're looking for personality. They, they keep coming back to that word that they go to social media to figure out what the personality of the place is or what the personality of the team or the coach is. They really want to understand what it is that you're all about and the feel that they get from looking at you and being around you. So when you post that news article, when you forward a press release, when you post something on social media that is just fact-based, you're doing yourself a disservice. What I would want you to do would be, I would want you to to showcase 
um, where your kids hang out after practice. Uh, I'd want to have them talk about what they like about the school on camera. I want you to go and get video of them on the van ride home, um, you know, celebrating the win or in the locker room after a win or halftime or in the huddle uh, during a timeout. Whatever it is, take them inside so that they see you at your natural uh, self and, and, and how you coach and also how your players are behind the scenes. They don't like pose. They don't want um, set up posed pictures or video. Uh, they want, as it happens, real life, uh, shaky camera, not professionally edited. That's what makes it real to them. And I, I mention all that to you again because I really want you to understand what draws them into buying into a story of a program. When it comes to social media, that kind of completes the puzzle. All the other things we've we've talked about, mailing, emails, text messaging, phone calls, that is very communication-based. That's fact-based. That's getting them to walk through the process. Social media, if done correctly, is really the thing that kind of is the icing on the cake. It's the good part of the program that says, here's what we're all about. And here are things that I can't really explain in a letter or that would be hard for me to convey in a phone call. And that would definitely not be something I could show you or explain in a text message. That's where social media is. So stepping back, and again, I hope that you can consult the chart uh, in uh, in the podcast section at dantutor.com, episode eight, because if you could emulate that mix and that balance of your message based on time, materials that go out, if you can create that, you're going to be doing yourself a great service. Um, And there's lots of articles on the website that will go along with this that we could point to that would say uh, what should be in the messaging, uh, how often it should be sent, uh, different do's and don'ts. I mean, we've got 12 years of articles, and most of them are, uh, are free for you as a coach to access, even if you're not a client or a member of, of Tudor University, um, you still have a wealth of free information at your fingertips. So you can go in and build that balance if if you want to take the time to do that. Um, and you know the other thing I would encourage you to do is if we've never talked to you about being a client before and you don't have any information on what that's all about, let me know. I would love to talk to you about it, spend some time on the phone explaining it. And finding out if it's right for you, because a lot of what we've just talked about, we we actually do for our clients so that they don't have to do that themselves, and we make sure that they get the right mix. But putting that aside for a second, this podcast today was really meant to give you an understanding of what the latest research is showing on what the right balance is. I encourage you to follow it. I encourage you to take a fresh look at your messaging so that you can create something that draws kids in, that gets them to buy into your story, and that beats your competition, not because of your record, your facilities, your history, or anything like that. It will beat comp- your competition because you will give the athletes the thing they are craving, which is the right feel to how you are telling them your story of you and your program. And coach, I can tell you from experience that more often than not, that's what wins an athlete over to a program. So it's important. It's one of the most important parts of your recruiting uh, life and your program's recruiting strategy. So pay attention to it and try to perfect it. 
coach. I really hope that was helpful today. We wanted to just take some time to explain it to you because it is so important, especially this time of year, as you prepare for recruiting the next class. If you have questions, you can email me, dan at dantutor.com. As we mentioned, lots of great resources on the website as well, so check that out. Until next time, I hope you have a great Christmas and holiday season, a happy new year. We'll talk to you again soon here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.